Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Good evening. We want to welcome you to the Wednesday preview show brought to you by the law offices of Robertson Beasley Shipley and Robertson PLLC with offices in Fort Smith, Ozark, and Springdale. And we will go to the Camelot Exteriors hotline and bring in Pig Trail Nation's own Alyssa Orange, famous, one of our best guests, favorite guests. <laughs> and uh, so um, we will start off Here's with uh, it, it, it's uh, nice to come in here after a win because there for a yeah. while. I was telling you, I don't know how we're going to come into this preview show um, discussing the A&M game after a horrible uh, three quarters, four or three and a half quarters of play. Yeah, yeah, it was nice. I definitely think sitting up in the press box, you kind of got flashbacks of Chad Morris and things that happened during his tenure at Arkansas. Um, but then you kind of remembered this is not Chad Morris and this is this is not Arkansas, and hopefully they'll be able to turn things around, and they did. Um, and But it was nerve-wracking. But I also think it was very telling for this team, exposed some things that they definitely need to work on. And so maybe hindsight, maybe it was good to kind of see some of these areas that you want to work on before you go into this huge stretch that they're about to hit. Yeah, and I was telling Jacob, I mean, it was almost like a blessing in disguise because I would much rather it happen then they come out of it because if this game would have happened this week in Arlington, they would not pull out of it. It's just a much better team. You're in a bigger hole. You're not in your home stadium where we've seen that punt return really spark everything and really turn everything around, you know, in the momentum side. And then you had a week to get over that loss, and then you have Bama coming. So at least this week you have a week to prepare for A&M, which is really, I don't think, I mean, talent maybe, but uh, game side, I don't see how unless their quarterback card or whoever their quarterback is just – tears them apart. I don't see Texas A&M winning this game. Yeah, you know, I'm. it's interesting that you bring up the quarterback thing because I think that Texas A&M obviously has their own things that they need to figure out right now too, right? Like they lost to App State at home. That could have easily been Arkansas last week, but they were able to pull that game out. Um, I was going back and looking through just because um, obviously the history that I have personally with Jimbo Fisher um, coaching at my alma mater, and him being such a quarterback-driven head coach. And it's interesting because this is the first time, I believe, that he has pulled and replaced a quarterback in the middle of the season since 2007, his first year as the OC at Florida State, when they had Drew Weatherford and Xavier Lee, and they were going back and forth. But then after that, it was Christian Ponder, and then E.J. Manuel, and then Jameis Winston, um, DeAndre Francois. Then Francois got hurt, and you had James Blackman. Then he comes to Texas A&M and he has Kellen Mond. So it's the first time that he has gone back and forth. And it is water and territory that he hasn't been in in a very, very long time. And so I'm curious to see how he handles Max Johnson and Haynes King and which one he starts on Saturday. And if he changes it at all, if things go sour with whoever he starts, does he make a change? Um that's their biggest question mark right now, and that's the biggest thing that Arkansas can try to exploit, in and, my opinion. And with him being in the SEC now, it's not like he's a ACC where your tenure can last a little bit longer. We know about ACC coaches and lasting a little bit two more years more than some should. You know, 
how hot do you think the seat is and how much pressure do you think that puts on his his decision to make the right decision in it? Because this is a big game for both teams. So how big of a yeah. decision do you think this is at quarterback for him? Yeah, I think it's I think there's pressure just because you're gonna hear about it because of what AM is paying him and what the expectations are. And look, I mean, you were some people had you go into the college football playoffs, and quite frankly, you lost to App State, and there's a very small chance unless you win the a, uh, the SEC and turn things around, you're not going to the college football playoffs after week two. Like that's a problem. And it's it's going to be interesting to see how he deals with that. It's kind of like going to Texas. Those people and that oil money does not mess around. It's why Charlie Strong was like, I'm out of here. I don't want to deal with yep. you. You're dramatic. Just pay me the money and I'll get gone. The thing with Jimbo is he's guaranteed everything that he's owed. So quite frankly, I mean, how much pressure is that? Yes, you want to win football games, but at the end of the day, if things go sour and it doesn't work out at AM, you're still getting paid. So you'll move on. Someone else will hire you. I don't think, and I know that Jimbo Fisher doesn't want to not be successful. It's just, I think maybe he's realizing it's harder than he thought it was going to be. And we can look at so many coaches in the SEC. You, you look at Shane Beamer, how he's been just – it's almost like Chad Moore's 2.0. He just looked so overwhelmed. You got Nick Saban even just with this NIL and the transfer portal. All these coaches that have had the success – and they've been in this a long – they just look tired. They look like, you know, you're having to pull double duty, not only recruit but keep your own players. How much of the toll do you think that puts on guys like Jimbo, Nick, and, and even guys coming in the league like Shane? You just see that there's a different attitude, and I think we're seeing it on the field in some of these teams. Other than Georgia, everybody looks vulnerable in the SEC. Yeah, that's possible. You know, I just really think that it comes with recruiting and your recruiting style. I think if you look at Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban, for example, um, the, and the way that they've recruited, they're going to have to adapt. They're going to have to adapt recruiting. I mean, look at Nick Saban. Here's a prime example of a guy he said would probably be starting at linebacker, happens to be starting at linebacker for Arkansas named Drew Sanders. He wasn't able to keep Drew at Alabama for whatever reason that was. Then you have guys like Shane Beamer, who I really just honestly think is just trying to navigate the SEC. He is not a stranger to this league. He was at Georgia for a while under Kirby Smart. He was at Oklahoma. He understands what it means. I think he's just still trying to figure it out. And I think that you learn sometimes with that kind of transfer portal is learning from past experiences. So you bring in Spencer Rattler and realize that's not necessarily a quick fix. You still have to just plug in other guys around you. Excuse me, hit my microphone. Uh, but just because you bring in one player doesn't automatically mean boom, bam, things are going to happen. I mean, you look even at Arkansas bringing in Felipe Franks. Did it elevate that team at the time? Absolutely. But there were still areas that they needed to improve in, which is why they only won, you know, three games or so or more than three games that year. You're well, that to, was the COVID year. So yeah, it, it was, it, the COVID it was year. three years because or three wins because they had it was a shortened SEC right. or shortened right. year. So so you know you got to still look at like just because you bring in one player doesn't mean that everything is all now solved and everything is good. And so I think coaches are learning. I think the one thing with Sam and why the transfer portal comes a little more natural to him than other coaches is just because of the way he's always recruited. And he didn't change the way that he recruited just because the transfer portal happened. He just has always been as genuine as he's 
been since day one. And that alone, I think, gets you further with guys than other approaches. And I'm not saying that other coaches aren't genuine, but I'm just saying I think Sam Pimmons had an easier transition. Um, and they understand going after the right guys, and you're seeing that now. I think a lot of it had to do with two things. He understands the culture at Arkansas, and he knew mm -hmm. he wasn't going to be able to fix this by himself. Mm -hmm. His first call was to Odom. Then Browse called to him. So you get this perfect – and I've talked to Jacob about, like, with, with my school and what Dabo did with Venables and Elliott. It took seven years to get that team, the recruiting, to elevate. And that's even playing in a conference like the ACC. It takes time, but yet it takes that continuity of a staff. And mm -hmm. it's very important, not only that Pittman, mm -hmm. but he's got to keep his coordinators because it's going to keep bringing the players in and they're going to build that up. Sure. I, I think it definitely goes both ways. Um, you know, I think you have to strike when the iron is hot, you know, and I think that continuity is huge. The fact that you have Barry Odom and you have Kendall Browse here for the third season together with Sam is really, really important. I think you make a good point with Clemson. I mean, look at Jimbo's transition at Florida State. He was the coach in waiting. That doesn't happen anymore, right? He was there with um, Bobby for two, three more seasons before Bobby retired, and then he took over. So everyone knew this is who your head coach is going to be. This is what you've got lined up. It was really easy to sell for recruits. I will also use Florida State as an example with Jimbo Fisher, and I think Jimbo Fisher held on to some of those assistants for a little too long. Yeah. I think that that defensive coordinator and the loyalty he had with the defensive coordinator right before he left was held on a little too long, and it, and it hurt. So I, it can go either way, right? You can be almost too loyal to an assistant sometimes, and it's detrimental to the program hindsight, right? Um, or that continuity plays dividends. So it really just kind of depends on how things work out. And we really don't even know. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen, but it's really going to take five more years down the road to turn around and really see exactly how valuable we know it's valuable now, but it'll be interesting to see five years from now, looking back at it. Yeah. But I think, you know, we're looking five years down the road, but I already see what he's already done to this program, to the state. Sure. He's gotten sure. this, this, and, and we've said last year, we've talked before in previous interviews, We've got everything rolling in the sports world. We need football to come together, get their act together, and win and bring the whole fan base because that's what, in the South, that's what we revolve around. That's what we talk about. We could sit here and say, well, our basketball team beat your basketball team. Well, it don't matter. What would you do in the football field? You know, that's what it comes to the, the people in the South and especially to a team like Arkansas where that's it. We don't have pro teams. This and yeah. they needed this to come be successful sure. and they deserved sure. what's happened mm -hmm. and it's only going to get better. Yeah. I mean, they got the right guy in place. Yes. And I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, Hunter, your check obviously nailed it with this hire and it's playing, div it's paying dividends right now. And people are buying into the culture and it's a culture that people bought into quickly as opposed to the, Oh, well, I don't have my guys here yet. That's why things aren't working. We haven't heard that at all. And we talk about culture, and we'll just talk about this just just a little bit before we get into the game. But you know, what other school we talk? We've we've seen you know this is the best athletic program, and you got Texas that wins the Challenge Cup. But when you talk about culture. Name another school that has the culture and the success that Arkansas does. 
that, that you've got Pittman going to volleyball games while he's getting ready for football mm-hmm. games. You've got your check going to the volleyball games, the softball games, the soccer games, the renovations, the coaches that are getting their extensions and their money that's due. It's almost like this success volcano is getting ready to explode. And I'm telling you, like, Arkansas wins a national championship in the big three. It's just go- – everything's going to go crazy. And especially yeah. if Arkansas – Beats Texas A&M and Alabama. I mean, next week, you're going to have to bring your whole truck because, I mean, it's going to be nuts next weekend in Fayetteville. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, yeah, you know, I think it's very, very unique what ha- what is happening at Arkansas. And I can put it into perspective via Mike Irwin. And Mike is like, I've waited 42 years for everything to be good. I mean, that's how special what ha- what's going on right now is, you know, Mike Irwin, who has covered this program forever is making comments like that. Yeah. So you kind of understand from that perspective. I would hope that Arkansas is not the only school in the country whose coaches are interacting together that way and, and supporting each other in that way. We just see it and we see how special it is. And so if anything else, maybe Arkansas at this moment is appreciative of it, maybe more than other programs around the country. But, um, you know, I know Arkansas is not the only program who is doing that um i just think it's almost like capturing lightning in a bottle you just have to hold on to it for as long as you have it yeah and moving on to the game we got we got a comment here that's talking about use utilizing hornsby more Mm -hmm. do you think that with with them playing cincinnati and then south carolina where they knew they would could pretty much dominate do you think they were kind of playing their cards holding it close to hand till it got to this stretch of A&M and Alabama or do you think I mean are they are they keeping Hornsby and waiting for when KJ leaves or what's the what do you think the deal is with Hornsby because that's one of the biggest questions we get asked and of course if we're seeing it they're seeing it of why he's not Mm -hmm. getting on the field more yeah you know Pittman was asked about this and it's interesting because he's made comments where you know if he's not a quarterback and he's not the number one guy, which we all knew that he wasn't going to be with KJ still here. Um, He needs to be on the field. He's too talented not to be on the field. But then you also have to protect him because I believe he is your number two right now. I know that Cade Fortin is playing really, really well back there as well. But I think Malik Hornsby, just with his familiarity and his experience, would be that number two guy. So you have to be careful with that. Um, And so I think we're getting more Malik Hornsby than – we were a year ago, and we're also getting how much they're comfortable with right now. Maybe as the year progresses and they feel better and better and better about KJ maybe not getting hurt, you know, this is game four of the season. Maybe in game eight of this season, we'll see a little bit more Malik Hornsby, maybe see some packages at quarterback. Um, but, you know, you also make a good point, too. Like, did they just not want to put a lot of film of Hornsby out there for everyone to see? I mean, I don't know. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see a wrinkle here or there in the next two weeks that we haven't seen yet just because they don't want it on tape. Um, but I also think they're just trying to protect Malik because as much as they want him on the field and as good of an athlete he is, you still have to protect him a little bit because he is your backup guy too, right? And that's kind of begs the question, well, what about Dominique Johnson? We've been told for two weeks now he's at least been cleared to play. He hasn't played. So how strategic is this move? Are we just not playing him so you don't see him on tape yet? And then, boom, here he is against the Aggies for the very first time this season. Um, or is truly Dominique Johnson just not 100% comfortable with being out there yet? I don't know. That, that begs a good question. I think with 
the the running game and and the thing with Johnson is you got a guy like Sanders running and playing so well that rhythm we're talking about you know I've said it a couple of times instead of looking at an angle we're protecting Hornsby from getting hurt you got to have those repetitions with the one ones and twos and and the more you're in practice and if you're putting me out in wide mm-hmm. receiver you're taking reps away from being the sure. quarterback and that yeah, comes absolutely. huge when and it comes look, to the game it's play. the same question with Dominique Johnson exactly. right like when Dominique comes back whose reps do you take do you take them from AJ Green do you yep. take them from Rashad Dubinian do you take them from Rocket Sanders I mean it's a really 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 tough thing to figure out because Dominique Johnson deserves to be on the football field we saw what he did a year ago but the guy's excuse me, out there right now are playing really, really well. So to your credit, absolutely. Who do you take off the view? You take off Matt Landers? I don't think so. You take yeah. you take Jaden Hazelwood off the field? I don't think so. You take Warren Thompson off the field? I don't think, like, he's even mentioned, like, Keytron, you have Keytron Jackson, you have Quincy McAdoo, you've got all of these really talented young guys, but we haven't seen very much of, because who do you take off? And then you add Malik Hornsby to it, and you're like, well, geez, what do we do now? Like, let Trey Knox rest some and just not have a yeah. tight end out here? Or what are we doing? <laughs> and I've said for the longest time, I think a lot of this is in the fans' minds of, we're a school where, well, this guy's so talented, let's just put him wherever on the field. I, I think now they've built a program. You're a top 10 program or top 10, top 10, 15 team. You've got to put the guys where they're supposed to be. You can't mm-hmm. – you, he's not like an Antoine Randall L or a Randall Cobb where he's just this all-world athlete – and you can stick him at wide receiver, and he's an All-American. You know, you've got him at quarterback for a reason, and I, it goes back to that PTSD of, well, if, if we don't put him out at wide receiver, he's just going to leave. If, if Sam Pittman, being the man that he is, he's already got this plan played out. He's yeah, already I, expressed to Hornsby what the plan is. Yeah. And, and what proved me the most, and I've, I've beat this, and it's when Trey Knox – accepted his role, but not only did he do that, he put on the weight to accept his role. So mm-hmm. if if Knox is bought in and already producing, I think Hornsby's just going to sit there. He's accepted his role, learning underneath K.J. Jefferson and Kendall Bryles, and what more knowledge mm-hmm. can you have learning behind those two? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think I think Knox's is a little different in a sense because he kind of came to Pittman and said he wanted to move um, and then embraced that. Um, you got to remember Malik Hornsby went into the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. Like like he went in and they were able to talk him out of it. So I don't think that you're sugarcoating anything that Malik Hornsby didn't already know because he did leave for a yep. bit and then he came back because they were able to get him back. And so um, I'm sure that they know a lot of things that we don't know and that's why we're talking about it and they've got a plan already. Um, but I don't think Malik Hornsby wouldn't be here if he was not 100% comfortable with what that role was. Exactly. And and my perspective was, was just Pittman's that much of a stand-up guy. He's not going to lie to somebody. He's not sure. going to just say it to keep him here. But moving to the biggest question, is, <laughs> and it's awesome that we, you know, on the offside side of ballers, uh, the question is, where would we take somebody out if we put someone in? Now you go to the very opposite side of the ball and go to the defensive side. We get Slusher back, or what's been reporting, you get Slusher back. Mm-hmm. You know, I know it helps having a body there, but then again, it's almost like what we look at the Dominic Johnson. You're at a position now where he might not be able to be 100%, but yet we've got to put him in because they need somebody desperately to help them on defense. 
Yeah, they do. And I, I'm interested to see what we get with Miles Slusher. Um, because, again, we've been told for two weeks that Dominique Johnson's clear to go. It's just up to him. So we really have no idea. But if we want to play the will Miles Slusher play, uh, and I feel like I owe him an apology because I picked him to be my player of the game week one, and then he got hurt, and I feel responsible for that. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I hope that we do. And I think that you're right. I think they need him back a little bit more than that running back room right now needs Dominique Johnson. They're pretty good. He can heal up 110% and then come back. Um, because of what we've talked about this week is just the defense and the secondary and leaving guys open or looking confused. Or I believe one of the statistics I think is that they're, um, they have like the, the, like given up the most passing yards uh, and at least the sec this season, though, that's a little deceiving at times when you look at that number um, you have to understand last week we talk about tackling but I just truly feel like sometimes those guys just were kind of confused. Yeah. And obviously it's really hard to tackle if you don't know where you're supposed to be. And I think that losing Jalen Catalan, who really put people in place and made sure that everyone knew what was going on losing him, that's where it hurts the most. It's his defensive recognition of picking up cues from the offense and getting everyone set. You lost that with him, right? You don't have that with you don't have that now that he's not there. I think Miles Slusher was kind of a Jalen Catalan 2.0 in a sense. He talked a lot about how Miles and his game knowledge and what he sees, his vision is very similar to his. And so if anything, you get Miles Slusher back, not only do you get someone who's talented, but you get someone who can also help people set up and get right like Jalen Catalan did. And I think that's the biggest benefit of having him back if they get him back. And, you know, we're playing this game of will he play? You know, he's probably known he's going to come back to the AM game for two weeks. Mm-hmm. They've probably got him in film room like an analyst. So yeah. you put him back there. Even if he is not 100%, that's a very interesting point you made of he can tell guys, hey, look, they're doing this set. Mm-hmm. If, as long as you're playing in that zone, you don't have, you're not playing a man where he's at. So playing that zone, you can help somebody. You know, and everybody gave Hudson Clark a bad rap. And there was times he did get burnt. And I was critical because of the sense of one play like that in the SEC can cost you a game. It's not like we're saying the, the, the kid's a bad player. It's just like one or two bad plays can cost you a game in the SEC. So you, the, the timing and where you need to be is very critical, especially, mm-hmm. you know, he's not a freshman. We, we, and that's almost like at the beginning of the year when – you know, with the Cincinnati game and KJ was throwing the passes, short arming it, and just kind of not there. I said, Well, if he's supposed to be a top three quarterback, we need to start holding him accountable. Like, we can't just praise him. And then if they're not holding up to their bargain or where, where they're supposed to be at, and I think that's where he's at. He's got to shake it off. And, and, and having someone like Slusher come in and tell him where, you know, hey, look for this, it's going to help out a lot. Yeah, I think so. And then you also look at Simeon Blair and, and realize that. You know, he, he's been asked to do a lot, too. That takes a little bit of weight off of his shoulders. So, again, it allows Hudson Clark and Simeon Blair to just go play. You know, right now they're trying to play and make sure guys are correct and checking all their boxes. And, like, it can be a lot and processing a lot because you're doing your job and maybe helping other people do their job. Um, so I think that just takes a lot of weight off of these guys' shoulders to just go out there and, and, and play, and I think that's going to be pretty evident on Saturday if he does play. Yeah, and then, you know, Coach Pittman always said getting to go down there and play in Dallas, and Jerry's world's always a treat for the players. And, you know, 
I don't know when the team left, but maybe getting away, just kind of having some team bonding moments and really kind of coming together knowing that this next couple of weeks is not going to be easy. And, and if we thought it was hard against Missouri State, well, you better buckle up because you got A&M and then Alabama coming up. So it, it's only going to get tougher. We know how the SEC is. Also, you know, with the, with the we don't know when Texas and OU is coming in because of, you know, what happened with the Georgia and Tennessee. Are they coming in next year, the year after? We don't know. So these guys, it's the road's not getting any easier. Mm-hmm. And the games, there's not going to be those breaks in between games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's not. And and I think, if anything, ending kind of what happened with Missouri State is that you just have to hang your hat on that this is a Sam Pittman coach team and they're not going to show up at A&M and not be prepared. I don't necessarily think they were unprepared last week. I think they were just thrown off because Bobby – Petrino threw about everything in yeah. the kitchen sink at him. So there's a li- it's a little different, um, but they're definitely, I don't know, this is a trophy game. I get there's a lot getting up to it. It's SEC. You want to, you know, keep that trophy in Fayetteville. So I don't see them having any kind of lag or just not being ready. I don't think Sam Pittman's going to let that happen. So I don't know if you're able to give predictions or anything like that. But sure. if if you were to give a prediction, mm-hmm. what would it be and what would be the biggest key to you, offensive or defensive, for that for Arkansas to have the victory? Hmm. You want like a score prediction? Well if you can. Yeah. If you if yeah, you Yeah, yeah. We do these for our show. Okay. Uh, but it's usually Friday night, me trying to like visualize what I want to do and try to remember. Well it. if you flip so flop now between now and then we the won't yeah, we won't hold it against you if you okay. flip flop. So I think it's gonna be a close game. This game is always close in, in Arlington. Um I think Arkansas wins this game. I just think Texas AM still has too many question marks on what is going on with their team. Um and so I'm going to say this is going to be a 27-21 Arkansas win. And I think the biggest key is, like I kind of mentioned at the beginning of the show, is getting to their quarterback and rattling their quarterback. Because right now, they already lack confidence. There's been a back and forth already. This is an SEC team in Arkansas that leads the nation in sacks. They need to put as much pressure as they can on that quarterback because I, quite frankly, am not worried about the Razorback offense. They are going to be fine. But if they can get to Texas A&M's quarterback and make them uncomfortable, that is going to rattle them because their confidence already is a little rattled, in my opinion. Um, And that is the weakness that I think you can exploit. Yeah, I'm going the same way, but I'm going to say 34-20. Uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, they did pull out a win, but they pulled out a lackluster win over Miami. I mean, hundred. Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't. They couldn't run the ball, really. I mean, you couldn't – I think they had 140 yards passing. And their leading rusher had 77 yards rushing. So it really wasn't like they had the game against App State, and then they, if they would have come back with a full head of steam and won by 21 points, I might lean closer to a closer game. But with the way Arkansas is maneuvering, you know, Moving the ball on the running game. If they were a pass-heavy team, I wouldn't have the margin as as big. But since it is a run-heavy team, they're going to wear Texas A&M down. And and I see it 34-20 Arkansas. And just because the the Mm. problem that you have – at you know how are they going to stop the run? They're going to make you stop the run. And they've proven if you do stop the run – I've preached the three levels of the the wide receiver. you got a deep threat and and with – 
Hazelwood, we got Warren Thompson and then Trey Knox. So they're just too explosive for me to say mm-hmm. that Ar- that Texas A&M can outscore Arkansas, even if Arkansas falters, even if it is a higher scoring game and it is 27. I don't think Texas A&M can outscore Arkansas. And when's the last time that we can say about an Arkansas team that we don't think anybody like Texas A&M can outscore you? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and we'll see. I think you make a really good point with running the football, too. The only thing is you've got to be less predictable than you were against Missouri State. The run, run, throw, yeah. run, run, throw, run, run, throw. The first three times out yeah. there gets a little redundant. I think you mix it up a little bit because I understand establishing the run. I understand that. But it got to a point where it's like, okay, now we know exactly what's about to happen. Um, hopefully they can get that momentum of the run game going early so that they can keep Texas A&M on their toes a little bit more. Yeah, I think that fourth and nine run really kind of sealed the deal on uh, we're not going to be <laughs> – I mean, you, you're just looking at, at plays and you're like, okay, okay, that was a horrible call and nobody could really take the blame because everybody was involved in that. So, But, Alyssa, yeah. again, thank you for your time. <laughs> Yeah, um, no problem. So I know you've got your show coming up. Everybody, yeah. uh, tell everybody. I got to go, go write my 9 o'clock show. So. <laughs> All right. Well, that will do it for our Wednesday preview show. Thank you again for Thanks. Alyssa Orange of Picture Thanks, Nation. Thanks, always a great time. Yes, and we will catch you hopefully recapping a win on Sunday. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.